Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15 through 23. And while you find it, I want to... uh, Bring up something that hopefully is a good memory for some of you, if this has happened to you. Um, Have you ever put on an old jacket or maybe an old pair of jeans or maybe, you know, grab an old backpack or whatever it is. And then you stick your hand in your pocket and you find like a $20 bill, a $50 bill. I mean, if you're very, very lucky, you might even find a $100 bill, right? Doesn't it feel so good? Doesn't it feel so good to just stick your hand in your pocket and all of a sudden be like, wow, I am $20 richer than I was before. I mean, and, and if you think about it, you, those were always your $20, right? Unless that was someone else's jacket. If, if that's the case, you should give the money to them. But uh, those were always your $20. But you were not aware of that until you, you know, you stuck your hand in and you found them. And... So I think that this is what is going on in this passage today. I think that what Paul is doing in this passage is reminding the Ephesians of something that they had all along, something that they have had since the moment that they were saved. He is actually praying for them. He is asking God that he would give them understanding, that he would give them knowledge. And he is praying for three things. He prays that the Ephesians would have understanding of their or the hope of their calling. So hope. He is praying that they would have understanding of um, God's inheritance in the saints. And he is praying that they would have understanding of the power that is at work toward us in Jesus Christ. So those are the things that he is wanting to remind the Ephesians. These are the things that he is saying, these have been all along yours since you believed in the gospel, since you received the Holy Spirit. But I am praying for you that you would be reminded of those things, that you would understand those things. And so today, really, you know, maybe other times I have given you, uh, you know, like my main point or my main argument for, for the sermon. but today. Really, the main thing that I want to do is I want to join Paul in this prayer for the Ephesians and uh, uh, make this prayer for all of us. Because I think that we need to be, as, as well as the Ephesians, or, or just like the Ephesians, we need to be reminded of these things, of our hope, of the inheritance of God in us, and of the power that is at work toward us. So let's pray, and then we will read the passage. God, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our Savior. We thank you, God, that when we heard the gospel message, we believed in your son, Jesus, and we received the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would reveal to us that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart so that we can understand What is the hope of our calling? What are the riches of your inheritance in the saints? 
and what is the, the power, your power that is at work in us, toward us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that seated him at the right hand of you, God, that placed him above all things, above every um, dominion and principality, and that gave him as the head of the church. I pray that we would understand with our hearts all of those blessings that we have because of, Christ, because of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you enlighten us by your spirit. I pray that you give me the right words to speak to your church and that we would be fed by you, God, who are our shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So why is it important for us to know these things? Why is Paul praying for the Ephesians? Why does he want them to understand these things? And well, let me argue that the reason why it is important for us to know the hope, the inheritance, and the power of God is because when we know these things, we will be able to enjoy God's love better. We will be able to enjoy fellowship with him better. We will be able to uh, proclaim the gospel and, and proclaim the kingdom of God in a, in a better way. We will be more effective at doing those things. I think when we understand this, we will be more effective at battling sin and temptation. When we understand these three things that we are going to talk about today. So let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went uh, or we started going over Paul, Paul's beautiful poem where he describes basically what is the Christian life or what a Christian is, right? And he's basically saying, that a Christian is someone who has received all of these blessings. He says, "Blessed be in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then notice how in verse 15, he says, For this reason. Oh, sorry, I said I was going to read the passage, and then I totally did not read it. So let's, uh, let, please stand and let's read God's word. Ephesians 1.15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of our, of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working, to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So notice how Paul starts this section and he says, for this 
reason. And so that should force us to look back, to say, okay, what, what, what reason? What are you talking about? What is the context of this? And I believe that what Paul has in mind is all of the blessings that he just mentioned that are ours in Christ. In other words, he's saying, because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, because he predestined us for adoption as sons, because in him we have redemption through the blood of Jesus, because uh, we have the forgiveness of our sins, of our trespasses, because God has made, to, made known to us the mystery of his will that is to join all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. Because we have obtained an inheritance in him. Because when we believed the gospel, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we received the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Because of all of these things that I just mentioned, this is why I'm praying for you. This is why I'm so thankful for you. I am praying for you, Ephesians, because you have received these blessings from God. And then he also inserts something else that he is thankful for. He says in verse 15, because I, have, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So we had like a very, uh, very rich description of what it means to be a Christian, right? With all of the blessings that are ours, adoption in Christ, uh, election, receiving the Holy Spirit, being, being forgiven of our sins. But here, Paul also gives us a little summary or, or, or the very least thing that you should have as a Christian, and that is faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints. Being a Christian is way more than that, but it's no less than that, right? A Christian is someone who, uh, who has faith in the Lord Jesus, who trusts the Lord Jesus for salvation. And a Christian is also someone who has love toward all the saints. I am thankful that Kaleo is a church that displays love for one another. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that Kaleo is a church where the love of Christ is evident among us. But at the same time, I do want to entreat, I do want to encourage Kaleo to grow even more in that love, to display that love for one another even more. One of the things that I really enjoyed about this, uh, this huddle that we went to in Colorado was being able to to talk to some people that I have never met before in my life and immediately know and experience the love that we have for one another because we are in Christ, because we are both saints, right? Remember that the word saint, Paul uses it to refer to all of the believers. And so it's amazing to go to a place where you don't know someone, but you know that they are believers in Christ. You know that they are saints and you immediately know that you can love one another. On the other hand, please do not ever step on Twitter because that you will see a bunch of Christians fighting with one another. And that is terrible. That is a, such a sad uh, uh, example of what it means to be a Christian. But I am thankful that here at Kaleo, I'm thankful that in other experiences, I've been able to experience the love toward all the saints that we believers have for one another. So he says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So he is thanking God for them, but he is also asking God for something. And this is what he asks for. He says, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
And notice, before we even get to what he is asking, just notice how Paul over and over has been talking about the Trinity. How over and over, he, all of his theology is very Trinitarian, right? It is the Father. He asks the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he may give you the Holy Spirit. So right there is the Trinity at work. And what he is asking is that he would give us the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants us to, or he wants the Ephesians, and he also wants us to understand something. But notice that there is a little parenthesis there in verse 18. It says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so this thing that Paul wants us to understand, yes, I think he wants us to understand it intellectually, but he also wants us to understand it with our heart. He is praying that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened because intellectual knowledge alone doesn't do anything. It's not until the truths that you are convinced of in your mind, it's not until they make it to your heart, it's not until you understand them spiritually, it's not until they affect your whole being, your emotions, your affections, your 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 um your um your logic everything in you it's not until those things affect you that they are for real that they become real for us so he is praying that god would reveal to them uh or that he would give them the spirit of wisdom revelation and knowledge that you may know and so he goes on to tell them three things that he wants them to know so in verse 18 he says that you may know what is the hope which he has called you? Now, this word hope is an interesting one. This is actually a word that I had not really put that much thought into, right? I had thought about other words like maybe grace or justification or uh, love, right? Th those are words that I'm guessing maybe most of us think more often about. But the word hope, even though a lot of the times is mentioned together with the other two, right? Love, uh, grace, and hope. Um, peace sometimes is mentioned as well, but hope is a word that I have not really thought, that I had not really thought that much about until I was studying for this passage. And I actually did a, a, a little bit of a word search on the word hope. And I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to go on your, if you have a Bible software or if you have the internet or wherever it is that you have, just type the times that the word hope appears in the Bible and just go over it. I did it for the New Testament. I didn't do it for the whole Bible. So you can do it for the New Testament as well, or you can go full on and do for the whole Bible. But I found so many different things about the word hope, but I definitely found a common theme. And bottom line, I think that the key is in, in 1 Timothy 1, 1, um, or 1, 2, I cannot remember. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by, command, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. So ultimately, when we think of hope, Jesus is our hope. He is the one that we hope in. But it is a lot, it is a lot richer than that. I mean, the bottom line, the summary is Jesus Christ is our hope. But you, you go, for example, into the book of Acts, and every time that Paul mentions the word hope, or most of the times he is talking about the hope of the resurrection. And he keeps talking about 
how the, the, the people of Israel, that was the hope that they had, the hope of the resurrection. And then he tells, uh, he tells every time he's in trial, he says, I am in trial because of the hope of the resurrection. And so, brothers and sisters, we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we also have hope that we ourselves will be raised from the dead. In Thessalonians, when Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians and he's talking to them about the people that have already died in Christ, he says something very interesting. He says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So he is not saying that we do not grieve, period. No, grieving is normal. Grieving is a normal part of of, of life, right? Because death is horrible, because death is God's enemy. And therefore, when someone dies, we should definitely grieve. But Paul says, we do not grieve as someone, as, as those who have no hope. Because we have the hope that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, those who died in Christ will be raised again. We have hope that those who died in Christ, we will see them again. When the Lord Jesus appears, when he returns, those people will be raised from the dead. And therefore, we have that hope. We also have hope that when God appears, he will bring with him a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be with him forever, like we saw in the book of Revelation, right? Remember in the book of Revelation, we talked about that hope of being in the presence of God in the new heaven and the new earth where there's no more suffering, where there was no more pain, there's no more sickness, no more tears, no more sin. We are together with God in his presence forever. And that is our hope. Now, it does say there that this is the hope of, uh, to which he has called you or the hope of your calling. And I believe that he is alluding back to the passages where he talks about how God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us. He, um, uh, he says in verse 11, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And as Jordan pointed out last week, did you notice that change of person, right? How Paul is saying, uh, we have this, these, are blessing, these blessings are ours. We have received this. He predestined us. And then he kind of tricks you, right? Because you get to verse uh, to verse 12, or sorry, verse 13. And then he says, in him, you also. So you kind of stop and say, wait a second, who were you talking about in the first place? And I think that, God, that what Paul is, is doing there is saying, well, first I was talking about the Jews. All of these things belong to the Jews, but in, in Jesus, you Gentiles, you are also a part of these things. And so you read it back again and say, okay, so this was for the Jews and this was for us as well. And so I think that when Paul here is saying that the hope to which he has called us, he is saying, God has called you Ephesians. God has called you Gentiles to the same hope that the people of Israel have, which is hope in the Messiah, which is hope of a restored humanity, hope of a restored heavens and a restored earth. We have the hope that God will make all things new. And this is, this is really good because if we understand this hope, then we will not be tempted to place our hope in other things. If we have hope in Jesus Christ, if we have hope in the new heavens and the new earth, 
if we have hope in being in the presence of God, then we will not set our hope in politicians. We will not set our hope in a political party. We will not set our hope in money. We will not set our hope in our job. We will not set our hope in our health. But rather, we will hope in God. We will hope in Jesus Christ. And this is amazing because it means that even if all of those other things are not going the way we would like them to go, we still have our hope firm in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Then he also wants them to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, here we have something interesting because this passage is actually a little bit difficult to understand. Uh, and I think there are two possible options. One of them is that he is talking about our inheritance, right? He is talking about uh, how we believers have an inheritance in God. In other words, God is our inheritance. And we see that theme in, um, in, chapter, in, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, right? He's talking about the Spirit. He says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there is an aspect in which we have an inheritance, which is God, which is his presence, which is being with him. But there is a different uh, sense. And, and I actually believe that this is the sense of this passage, even though it's a little bit confusing. Um, notice that the inheritance in this case is God's glorious inheritance. And his inheritance is in the saints. In other words, what this passage is saying is that just like God is our inheritance, we are God's inheritance. We belong to him. Now, does that make you feel a little bit weird? Like, wait a second. Like, does the Bible actually teach that we are God's inheritance? Yes. Yes, the Bible says it multiple times. The Bible says it of the people of Israel and multiple times in, in Deuteronomy. I unfortunately did not write the, the, uh, the, the passage, but I, I'd be happy to give it to you um, later. But it talks about the people of Israel being God's inheritance. And remember that the entire, or one of the main purposes of the book of Ephesians is to remind the Ephesians that they now belong to God's people. And so he is telling them, Ephesians, you are now God's inheritance. You are now a part of God's chosen people. You are now God's portion. There is a, uh, there is a song. I do not endorse the church that sings this song, or, and I'm not even saying we should sing this song. But I do remember that this song has a line that made a lot of people kind of you know, get a little uncomfortable and squirmy. Because the song says, you, it's talking to God and it says, you didn't want heaven without us. And so, you know, it kind of makes you think like, wait a second, is that, is that for real? Well, if it says that we are God's inheritance, if it says that he redeemed us with his blood, if, he says, if it says that he chose us before the foundation of the world, it is, if it says that he has adopted us as sons, then I would say, yeah. Absolutely. He wanted us there. He delights over us with singing. 
God is pleased with us. And I think this is something that we often forget. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, um, that we should just go on doing whatever we want, engage in sin and, and do not be concerned at all. No, what I'm saying is that we are God's inheritance, that we are his portion. He is delighted over you. He, consider you, he considers you his son and daughter. You belong to him. And I do believe, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that we sometimes do not make progress in our Christian life because we have a lower view of ourselves than God has a view of us. Because a lot of the times we are self-defeated, we are so uh, um, burdened with guilt, and we totally forget that the Bible says that we are God's inheritance. That he gave his son Jesus for us. That he loved that he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to save us. That's how valuable we are to him. Now, he doesn't need us. He is absolutely glorious all by himself, but in his infinite mercy and love, he died for us and he calls us his glorious inheritance. Now, in verse 19, he is reminding them of something else. He wants them to understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He wants us to understand the power of God that is at work in us, that is, uh, that is working toward us who believe. Um, how many of you believe that God is powerful? Okay, good. <laughs> uh, how many of you believe that God's power is, is at work in us? Okay. I see a little, <laughs> see a little more questioning. Maybe we need to go back a little bit. Um, how many of you have thought about this power that is mentioned here. Look at what Paul has to say about this power in verse 20. This power that he is describing, this might that he is describing that is working toward us who believe, this is the same power that he worked, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work toward us who believe. And then he says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that God used to, uh, uh, for Jesus to ascend and to seat him at his right hand is the same power that is at work in us. And notice, notice how high above Jesus is in heaven. Verse, 20, verse 21, or, uh, you know, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is exalted over everything else. He has dominion over everything else. There is nothing above Jesus. He has absolute control. He is the ruler of the universe. And his power is at work toward us who believe. 
Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, to ascend him into heaven, to seat him at his right hand, to place them above every rule and dominion and authority over all things is at work in us, the church. This is what he says in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, gave Jesus as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church by herself is pretty powerless. The church by herself is pretty, um, pretty insignificant. We don't really have a lot of influence in this world. We're not very important people. We don't have a lot of influence, right? Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were extremely wise. Like we're not here because we're the smartest people in Aberdeen or Grace Harbor or anything like that. But we do have one thing and what a thing we have. The church has Jesus Christ as its head. The church has Jesus Christ as, as the one who is leading the church. So think about this. Our leader is not just the leader of the church. He is the leader of the universe. He is the ruler of the universe. There is nothing below him, and yet he is the head of the church. We are his body. We are what fills all in all. This is way more than $20 in your pocket, right? This is like finding a lottery, the winning lottery ticket in your pocket. This is incredible. This is, uh, this is why Paul is praying for them to know these things. Do you realize how when we understand our hope, when we understand that we are God's inheritance, when we understand that the power of God is at work in us, do you realize now why I say that those things will change how effective we are in ministry? Do you, do you understand now why I said that when we understand these things, we will be way more effective in preaching the gospel. We will be way more effective in proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We will be way more effective in abstaining from sin and temptation. We will be way more effective in obeying God. The second half of Ephesians is all of the uh, implications of this reality. In light of all of these things, we are called husbands. We are called to love our wives. In light of all of these things, children, we are called to submit to our parents, to obey our parents. In light of all of these things, we are called to abstain from from, um, from sin, we are called to, to be careful how we speak. We are called to love one another. We are called to, um, to be humble toward one another. We'll get there, but we need to really, really understand the hope that we have in Christ. We need to really understand that we are God's inheritance. We really need to understand that God's power is at work in us if we want to be able to look at chapters 4 through six and really apply them to our lives. So to end, I want to just really remind us how these things are only possible because of Jesus Christ. And I've, and I've already mentioned it, but I really want to emphasize it. We have hope because Jesus Christ is not only is he our hope, but he is our high priest. 
when you are doing your word study in the, in the word hope, when you get to the book of Hebrews and you get to chapter 10, you are going to see an interesting line that it says, I'm going to read it because I don't want to, um, I don't want to butcher it. So in, in chapter six, verse 19, it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Isn't it interesting what the author of Hebrews is saying? He is saying that our hope is already in the inner place. Our hope is already in the heavenly places, in the presence of God, because Jesus, who is our high priest, he is already there. He is already there interceding for us. He is already there. He has already made a sacrifice for us. And therefore, our hope can be in the presence of God because of the work of Jesus on the cross as our high priest. We are, we have this, or, or sorry, we are God's inheritance because God purchased us with his blood. We are God's inheritance. We belong to him because he redeemed us. He bought us. He rescued us from our sins. He forgave our sins and trespasses. We belong to him. And this is only because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And we can be empowered by the power of God toward us because this is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. This is the same power that ascended Jesus to the heavenly places and that seated him above everything and gave him, God gave him as the head of the church. Every single one of these blessings is us because of the work of Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory, not to us, but to Jesus.